Hello, and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. That's me. I'm going to do something a little different today than anything I've ever done before, really. This Midweek is going to be a preview of the Father's Day message. Um, The Father's Day message is going to be based on Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where the Apostle Paul, after describing the gospel, God's predestined loving choosing of the saints, his rescue of them from their spiritual deadness through Jesus Christ, his unifying into one new person, both Jew and Gentile together, and his unleashing of the preaching of this mystery through the apostles, especially the apostle Paul. When he's done describing these things, he has a prayer and he says, because of these things, or for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father from whom every family gets its name. And that's the, the, the verses I want to talk about, this idea of every family getting their name from the Father. And what we'll talk about, and I'll share it now too, is that in Greek, the word Father is pater, and the word for family or clan or nation is patria. They're connected, pater, patria. They're connected. It's the same word, and it's word root, and it's similar to how we would say father or fatherhood. So almost a better translation to capture that connection is to say the father from whom all fatherhood comes, except that you miss out on the fact that it's not just talking about family fatherhood, but the father of nations, the father of cities, the fathers of tribes, all fatherhood gets its name from the Father. And I'll talk lots about that on Sunday, but what I want to do today is um, just put onto the midweek something I won't have time for on Sunday. And so the, the idea being that God has knit fatherhood, his fatherhood into his creation. All fatherhood in the world is a reflection of something God has put here. It's not an invention of human beings and that we have projected into heaven. It is a revelation of God that he has imaged in human gene- beings by putting it into his creation. And so I was thinking of doing a walk through scriptures and just thinking about the impact of fatherhood, the importance of fatherhood that we see in the Bible, namely in the Old Testament stories. But I won't have time for that on Sunday, so I'm going to do that now. So fatherhood in the scriptures. Well, the reason the world is wrecked is because of a fatherhood failure. Adam Uh, chose not to obey the word of the Lord with his wife and instead subjected all of his children to death and corruption uh, through sinning and being expelled from the garden. Everything that goes wrong now is a fatherhood failure. And of course, the woman was in it as well and erroneously kind of leading the way. Um, And it, it all fell apart. But Ultimately, it was Adam who bore the responsibility and received the curse in the entire world for his failure to be a true spiritual father for all mankind. And the conflict, the spiritual conflict conflict between God and the serpent uh, is a conflict of generations and seed and children. He promises that the seed of the serpent's head will be crushed by the seed of the woman. So this has to do with children. And yes, it has to do with the woman's seed, but it also has to do with spiritual fatherhood. Whose son are you spiritually? Now, a few chapters later, we have um, 
a genealogy uh, from Adam through Seth, and it's really interesting that God says that uh, Seth was born in the image of Adam the same way that Adam was made in the image of Seth. And so there's kind of this connection between men having children or people having children and God forming Adam. So it's saying that God is a father. Subtle, but that's the implication. Now, Genesis is all about fatherhood. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so is the father of so-and-so and and the son of him and the son of him and the son of him. It's about tracing lineage. It's about tracing fatherhood. And even when we get to Abraham, which is the, who is the father of faith, um, it's about stories about fatherhood. Abraham is not able to become a father because his wife, Sarah, is barren. And he complains to the Lord that his steward is going to inherit his household. And the whole problem with uh, Rahab and having Ishmael is a struggle to become a father and to produce the next generation by the flesh instead of by faith. And Isaac comes by faith, by the promise of God turning Abraham into um, the father of many nations. And Abraham's name was Avraham, the father of many nations, the father of many. Um, as we go on, the conflict between Jacob and Esau is about was, ends up being about fatherhood as well. You may remember what's the big fight that caused Jacob to run away to a foreign land. He stole his brother's blessing, and he stole it from his father. Um, his father thought it was Esau, and he blessed Jacob, and then Esau comes in, and he's gotten the blessing from the father, and Esau is so furious, he will kill Jacob, except that Jacob runs away. It's about fathering. And all of the craziness that happens with Jacob and his 12 sons and two, count them, four wives, it becomes a father issue. Now, when Jacob had Joseph, what did he give him? He gave him a splendid coat, which made all of his brothers feel jealous of this special affection that their father was giving to their brother. And it helped fuel their murderous desire to get rid of him, which eventually led him into Egypt. And God was ruling over all this stuff, but this is a fatherhood issue. Um, When Joseph reveals himself to the brothers and says, I'm Joseph, what's the first thing he asks them? He says, how is my father doing? And Joseph has been in Egypt for years, wondering about his dad's health. Is he still alive? Skipping into Exodus, it's a little bit different. But what is Pharaoh's command to the, to the Israelites? They have to kill all their baby boys. It's an attack on fatherhood. Not only is it an attack on the children of the Israelite fathers and mothers together, of course, but by killing only the boys, they are destroying the future generations of fathers. Those who are called to stand up, lead, fight, and protect their family. They're trying to weaken the nation by stopping them from having fathers. Abraham, or sorry, Moses is rescued and attempts to be the savior of Israel, but he isn't. And he comes, he's sent away for 40 years and God finally brings him back. And he is the father of Israel as he leads them out. But it's really interesting when Moses is contesting with Pharaoh, he commands Pharaoh to let his firstborn son Israel go. Moses is a father over Israel, commanding Pharaoh to let the son of Yahweh go. Israel, the son of Yahweh. 
Uh, Leviticus is a bit of a tougher one. I've been thinking about it there. It's not directly about fatherhood and the way some of the stories are, but the priesthood really is a spiritual fatherhood over uh, the nation. Fatherhood is bound up with seeking blessing from God for your progeny. And the Levitical book is all about how to secure the blessing of a holy God for a sinful nation. And the high priest, is his main duty is the Day of Atonement. The center of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. That's when the high priest secures the forgiveness of God for the nation and brings the blessing of God down to the nation. So he is a father figure. He is doing spiritual fatherhood over Israel. Numbers is about fatherhood as well. The 12 spies go into Numbers, and only two of the spies um, have faith in God enough to enter in. The other 10 bring the bad report. And what's the punishment? That entire generation of fighting men needs to die before God will bring them into the promised land. It was a generation of fathers who did not have faith to enter into the promises of God, and their children went in instead of them. It's a fatherhood failure. Uh, Deuteronomy is a book about fatherhood, as again, Moses acts as a spiritual father over Israel, preparing them to enter into the promised land. Um, I want to jump over Joshua and just go to the book of Judges, which has some really interesting stories of fatherhood. It becomes very predominant that part of the question about who makes a good judge is who is a good spiritual father as well. The book starts off with a story of Caleb. Caleb is one of the 12 who had faith to go into the promised land, and God kept him alive during the years of the punishment wandering around the desert. And the book of Judges starts off with this really interesting story. Caleb, during one battle, promised his daughter to be married to whoever kind of captures the city or the first person over the wall. It happens to be his younger brother or something like that, and so he gives his daughter to this guy named Othniel. Othniel turns out to be the first judge in the book of Judges, and he's a good judge. But um, Caleb's daughter, I think her name's Aksa, says to Othniel, we need some water. Go ask my dad, or we need to ask my dad. And she goes, and uh, I guess they agreed to it, and she goes and asks Caleb and says, would you give us something? And Caleb gives her the upper and the lower pools. They live in a dry, arid area, and Caleb gives them pools of water to keep them alive. It's a picture of fatherhood. What do fathers do? They provide life-giving necessities for the children to thrive. And you compare that with the story of Jephthah later on near the end of the book of Judges. He also has a daughter, and Jephthah goes out to battle full of the spirit but makes this rash and foolish vow. He says, God, the first thing that walks through my gate when on my return home, I will sacrifice to you. And the thing that walks through the gate is his daughter. And so Jephthah ends up sacrificing his daughter. And the terrible thing is that um, the book of Leviticus actually allows someone to be redeemed if they've been uh, promised to the Lord as a sacrifice. There's You can weigh out a certain amount of money and give that to the Lord instead of the person's life. You redeem them. Of course, that's what God wants. He does not like human sacrifice. Um, he, the only sacrifice involving people that he accepted was his own sacrifice. When God himself went to the cross in his son for sin, that's the only kind of human sacrifice God has been pleased with ever. And so Jephthah is the polar opposite of Caleb. He um, does not provide life for his daughter or his children. He sacrifices her in his foolishness. And then you can also contrast two other um, 
Judges, Gideon, and Samson. Gideon has lots of sons, but his, his, his judgeship is tarnished by him actually trying to be kind of like a king. He has a ton of wives, he has a ton of sons, and he becomes like a king. Except that Israel's not supposed to have a king. God is the king of Israel, and Gideon's supposed to be a humble judge. But he breaches the boundaries and becomes self-promoting. And not only does he have wives, he also has mistresses or concubines. And one of Gideon's concubines or mistresses has a son named Abimelech, which means my father is the king. And Abimelech is an unfathered man. He does not live with Gideon. He's not really recognized by Gideon. But when he grows up, he can he convinces the elders to let him hire a band of brigands or whatever, and he goes and kills all of Gideon's sons except for one. So Gideon's story is a story about failed fatherhood. He is an okay judge. He did he turned out bad near the end, but how he was as a father tore Israel apart because he had so many kids that he didn't parent and an illegitimate son who grew up to hate him and his half-brothers. So it's about fathering. You can also think about Samson, who was a judge, but he was not a father. Um, He wanted to marry the Philistine girl that didn't work out, and then he turned to a life of prostitutes and a Delilah, whoever she was. I'm not sure if she was a prostitute or what, but he never had any children. He was barren. And so he, this is kind of a picture of Samson, full of might, but like physically barren and spiritually barren. He never led anybody. Yeah, he could defeat a lot of Philistines, but he never united anybody. He never led anybody. So it's a story of fatherhood. And Samson is an unfather. If Gideon was a failed father for having too many kids and how he raised them, Samson is the unfather. And he's the low point of the judges. Now you move into 1 Samuel. And what do you hear about? You have um, Elkanah, who's got a barren wife. And instead of praying for her, he just tries to comfort her and gives her a double portion of food or 10 times as much. I'm not sure what it was. Um, he, he doesn't pray for her to have children. He's a father who's content to have two wives and one's having children, the other one's not. And then we meet Eli, who is a father, and he has two spiritual sons, but or two physical sons, but they're not spiritual sons. They they don't serve the Lord, and God brings a judgment on his entire household because of the fathering failure there. Then you have Samuel, and Samuel also has some fathering issues. His sons grow up and are judges, but they take bribes, and so the people don't want Samuel's sons to rule over them. They ask for a king. So part of the reason why they ask for a king is because they see that Samuel's sons are not going to follow in his footsteps. And then even the fight of the kingship is a fathering issue. Um, it's this fight between Saul and David. Saul is kind of a religiously superficial man who does believe there is a God, but can't get around to obeying him or trusting him. And he has a son named Jonathan who is a pillar in all of the Old Testament, all of the Bible of faith and faithfulness unlike his father, and uh, but Jonathan will not become king because of Saul's unbelief. But Saul has another son named David. David is Saul's half-son. He marries his daughter, and Saul is a father-in-law trying to kill his own steps or son-in-law because uh, he feels threatened by him. So that whole conflict before David becomes king is a fatherhood issue. 
David has fatherhood issues as he has multiple sons and some of them are real dunderheads. Amnon abuses his half-sister, Absalom kills him, um, and Solomon is raised up, but Solomon is the brother of the child who dies because um, it was conceived by David and Bathsheba, and Uriah is killed to try to cover up the sin. And then you can just go through the rest of the books of Kings, which is all about fatherhood. Will you be like King David, your spiritual father. The whole question is, are you like um, King David, but better? So this is really superficial, and I'm just running through it here, but I'm just looking at the fatherhood dynamics in the Old Testament because God has said in Ephesians that his entire world is about is, is, is flavored by fatherhood and is about fatherhood. And you can see as you look through the scriptures that This whole idea of fathers and sons is a key theme that impacts and expresses the kingdom of God as it comes into the world. And I haven't even looked at the New Testament, which I'm not going to do today. But just just for your own thinking about, God is the Father. His Son is Jesus, and they have knit their relationship into the entire world, fatherhood and sonship, authority and submission, and the transference of faith, and the love between generations. These are key issues in God, key issues in the scriptures, key issues in the world, something for us to be thinking about and praying about. Have a great day.